you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning again, everyone. It's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person. want to welcome all of you who are joining us online, whether this is your very first time with us in person or online. Know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. Before you show up here and walk through these doors, or before you turned on our service online today, or maybe you're listening throughout the week and you're watching or listening um, on demand later, know that you are prayed for before you even pushed play today. And we truly believe that God has something in store for each and every one of us. And so if you are here or you're hearing my voice, may God reveal what he has for you today. Now we are, as Thomas mentioned in our video, we are in a series called The Content Life. And in a world in which we are surrounded um, by difficulty, by trials, uh, by things that are hard all across the world, and a world in which it's easy for us to be anxious Maybe easy for us to lose our joy. Maybe easy for us to give more credence to the context around us rather than hope in the contentedness we can have in Christ. We're studying the book of Philippians throughout the summer in which Paul, writing from a jail cell in Rome, is writing an encouragement to the church in Philippi and encouraging them to find joy, peace, and a content life in a world that is pointing anything but those things. So today, as we are in a world that may point us or may challenge us to to live a life that causes us to lose our joy, to feel anxiety rather than peace, and to lose contentment, but rather focus on comparison, what does it look like for us to have the content life? Now we are, uh, if, you, if you're in the service with us here in person, you notice that our chairs are set up a little differently. We had the honor to be able to uh, have a wedding here yesterday um, with uh, Emma now Barasa. It was Ballora, but uh, she and Cesar got married yesterday, and so we needed to center aisle, right? And so in the back, um, as we were here today, uh, excuse me, we're here for the wedding and I was sitting up front because I, I was doing a prayer during the wedding. Uh, but my family was sitting in the back. And we knew, like we just know how to kind of, my daughters have been to several weddings. I've done dozens of weddings throughout our years. And they um, ended up going to the back. And Elise has really been enjoying Seek and Finds. And so there's like the Highlights magazines. Like when I was a kid, I would only look at the Seek and Finds for Highlights magazines. Like in dentist's office or doctor's offices, it's, it was the only thing I looked forward to there. But um, recognizing that, you know, that was something that was really fun and you try to find it. And so she got uh, several books um, from, my, from my dad that were just uh, only the puzzles. I'm like the best. And so she loves, she gets a highlighter and she likes to look And she and I would do these together often, and sometimes you're looking for something for so long, and you know know you're looking for a specific shape, or maybe it's a specific color, and you're like, where is it? And every once in a while, one of the things that we do in order to kind of get a better perspective and in order to maybe find something we're seeking is sometimes we would turn that, that page upside down. Because sometimes when you're looking at one thing one way all the time, it's really easy to get so locked into that perspective that sometimes just shifting your perspective and flipping it upside down can give just a different way of looking at things. So 
Today, what I want to do to start off our, series, our sermon excuse me, together today through Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Um, if you want to get your Bibles available, we're going to go through that verse by verse. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you that you can use. You can use your Bible app. If you're watching online, you could click the Bible tab, um, and it'll take away the notes section, but you could go on the Bible tab, follow along with us at Philippians 2. But while we're getting there, while you're getting situated... Um, I saw a few um, advertisements through uh, the Jeep, the company that makes, you guessed it, Jeeps, and they uh, had this ad um, design that they did that I want to show you because I think it, it points a little bit to this idea. So the first picture we have here, we're going to see a head of an animal. So let's click to the next one. What animal do you see when you look at this? A goat, I think, like a, like a deer, maybe. Like you could kind of see the ears, right? You could see the, the face. Can you, you're all following along with me what that is. So this is what we look at. You're like, okay, that's a deer or that's a goat. Like that's what that is. However, the way they designed it is that if you flip it upside down, you see something different. So let's go to the next one. Can you see what that is? It's a seal. Can you see how if you look on the, on the left, it looks like a deer. On the right, it looks like a seal. Let's go to the next one. It's, again, it's the same ad campaign. Uh, this one, what do we see? An elephant. Yep, very good. And if you flip it upside down, what do we see? You see a bird of some sort? Uh, turkey. It looks delicious. Um, and so you see a turkey, right? Same idea. If you just looked at it at that and said, okay, this is going to be an elephant, you wouldn't even have the perspective to look it upside down and see a turkey. Let's go to the third one. What do you see when you look here? Giraffe. Now, if I were to say, no, this is 100% a penguin, you would not believe me until you turn it upside down and you see a penguin. So here's the idea is that you look at something in your perspective, you could visualize, you could tell what it is, and you say, this is what this is. But sometimes when we're looking at something and we look at our life and what the world encourages us to pursue, to follow, to live for, to find our hope in, we could get so fixated on living our lives according to what the world will tell us, what our culture encourages us to do, that sometimes we are seeking, but we're not finding the life we've wanted, the hope that we need. And so Today, we're going to have our sermon be called Upside Down. What does it look like to take what the world will tell us how to live, how we are encouraged in our culture to see our lives, and what happens if we pull back and like Elise and I, when we would look at something and we just need to turn it upside down to get a new perspective. What perspective does the world tell us? And then what perspective? How does Jesus' life and his example for us turned that upside down. Will you pray with me as we get ready to enter God's word together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us, whether here is in person in the room, whether here is watching live online, or watching or listening on demand throughout the week. Whenever we're paying attention to this, wherever we are, however we may be listening, God, we know that you are speaking to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are ever-present, and we thank you that you have a message for each and every person who hears this time in the Word, this sermon together today. I pray that as we dive into the scripture, God, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, and it's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to start right off the bat, and I'm going to begin in Philippians 2. Then we're going to take a couple moments to take in a, a moment to look at how the world what are some of the ideas or the concepts or the, the ways that we are told to live? And then how the rest of the passage turns it upside down. So in order to start, we have Philippians 2, chapter 1, or excuse me, Philippians 2, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, we've, we've talked about this before, and this is just a nice, uh, whenever you're reading the Bible, maybe you're in a passage when you're in your own devotional time, maybe you're in a small group together discussing God's word. Whenever you see the word therefore, I've always heard it said, if you see the word therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for. So you go back into the context and say, they're building, Paul's building an argument to the Philippians saying, therefore, if any of this is true, here's how you ought to live. But what is the therefore, therefore? What's the context before it? We ended our sermon last week looking at Philippians 1, 27, and the idea that talks about how to conduct your life, it's on the screen, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He, he continues on, Paul continues on talking about now that you're experiencing the same struggles that I've had and now have, you understand what it's like, but we are called to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of Christ. And we talked about how that word for conduct yourself in a manner worthy is the idea of measuring worth, or it's the idea of a scale that is being balanced and saying, do your words and your actions meet? Or do you say one thing like, I want to get healthier, but then you eat the same foods and get less sleep and don't do any more exercise. So your words and your actions aren't lining up. So the context is Paul's saying, listen, if, if you're challenged to live a life worthy where your words and your actions meet, that what you say you believe and how you say you want to live is actually how your life is being conducted. And so in order to do that, here's how he points to it. He says, so that's you. If you have experienced any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you've had comfort from his love, now in Philippians 2.1, if you have a common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, if you feel for one another, if you experience, you've been encouraged by one another, if you've mourned with one another or celebrated with one another, if you've experienced life together, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. We're going to see in verse 2, it talks about being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then in Philippians 5, he revisits the mindset as well. It's saying we need to fix our minds on the idea of unity, even in the midst of diversity or even in the midst of the differences around us. That what the world could use to divide and separate people, whether it be country of origin, whether it be socioeconomic status, whether it be political affiliation, whether it be any of these other things that would say there's division there, there's unity when it comes to Christ. Why? Because we all, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've experienced in life, no matter how much money we have or don't have, no matter how we vote or don't vote, no matter what it is, we all are in need of Jesus. Nothing outside of Jesus can save us. 
Our money in our accounts don't save us. Our political affiliations don't save us. Our country of origin or, or our race or any, those don't save us. In fact, what saves us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because no matter where we're from or what we have or don't have, we are, none of us are perfect. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the grace of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we all need this. So he's saying, listen, there are things that might be different among you, but be united in this. Have the like mindset. Have the same love. Be of one spirit and one mind. So with that concept in mind, I want to make a very brief list. We're not going to unpack a ton of this, but these are just a few things that we see inside of our world, maybe phrases or concepts or slogans or things that we hear about what the world says, what we ought to pursue and how we ought to live. And so we're going to create one table on one side. The first one is the idea that life is all about me. Life is all about what I want. Life is all about my own success. Life is all about this. There's a, um, there are these posters. Have you ever thought of, I've seen these motivational posters that it's like ambition and it's, you know, it's like a black background and it's got this really nice photo and then like this really like, you know, inspiring to, they're usually again at like doctor's offices and things like that. But it's like, you know, ambition and you can do whatever you set your mind to. Well, there's a website that's called Demotivators. Um, and it's like the opposite of that. It's like, there's one, I don't have the picture, uh, maybe I'll bring it up for next service, but it's this idea of um, these two kids who are playing soccer, I would guess they're probably about six or seven years old, and it's called Goals. So it has like a motivational thing, you think it's going to be really encouraging. And the picture is of one of the, uh, one of the soccer players like pushing the face of the other one like this, and it says Goals. Don't get in the way of some jerk and his goals. Like just this idea of like this concept of, man, this idea of we just, we joke about that. But in reality, there are times when we put our own, what we want above anything and everything else, about anyone else. Maybe we're not doing that, but maybe we are spending so much time at work in order to get money because we think that money will save us that we forsake relationships with family. Maybe we spend so much time trying to get good grades because we think the approval that we will get with the letter A next to our name with grades, that we learn that we've pushed aside friends and we don't have relationships with people anymore. Maybe we think that as we move up the corporate ladder, we will be able to have more plaudits and success and find joy in that. And yet, as we go up, our friendships, our relationships, and the quality of our life often goes down. We think that life is all about us and what we want to do. And we wouldn't say this, and most of the time we're not always like this. But when it comes to the message we often hear, it's life is about you and what you need to do and, and living your truth and doing these sorts of things. Life is all about me. That's one thing that we hear. Another thing is to, the next one on the slide, says to make more of yourself to be happy. 
Make more of yourself. Make a bigger name for yourself. Make a bigger reputation for yourself. Make more money for yourself to get happy. Make uh, more friends so that you can be happy. Make more of yourself. Make yourself bigger and more grandiose. Get more followers on social media. Get more of, of a follow. Make more of yourself. Why? Because that'll make you happy. We equate more and muchness with joy and happiness, and yet that's often not the case. Jim Carrey, who I'm sure you were not expecting to hear a quotation from Jim Carrey this morning, <laughs> talks about this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That we want to get more of our dreams. We want everything we've ever wanted. Life is about me. We want to have more of ourselves in order to be happy. And yet, so often, the more we have, we still have heartache. We still have broken relationships. And if we rely on money or other things to make us happy, when we achieve or we have all of that and it's, we're still not happy, then the depth of our discouragement and oppression goes much deeper because we thought we had achieved it, and yet it's left us with a gap. Why? Because if we seek our joy, our hope, our purpose, and our contentment in the, what the world has to offer, we will not find it. We can only seek it and find it in Christ. Number three, go to the next slide, the idea of take advantage of others to move up. That we could say, like, in order to move up and to get into the role that we want at work, yeah, we burn a few bridges, but that's okay because we need to get to the top. We might sacrifice relationships with family, but that's okay because I need to pursue and achieve my dreams. Because why? Because my life is all about me. Because I want to achieve more. You see how these build on one another. The idea that we take advantage of others. We manipulate people in order to have our way the way we want things. We want to use people, and we wouldn't say we're using them, but we want to have them come alongside, and sometimes it's not for their own good or their own growth, it's for ourselves. And again, let me be clear. What I'm saying now is not something that all of us do all the time. I know that there are many of us who are selfless, many people who are generous, many people who do really incredible things. So I'm not painting a brush for everyone, but what I'm saying is these are the types of messages that we hear, and this is the type of current that's going downstream that we need to fight and go upstream in order to live the life God has called for us. So Understand, this is not a condemnation on everyone that's listening. It's acknowledging the culture and what we hear around us. And then lastly, if we're to sum it up, it's put yourself first. Life is all about me. Get more so that I can be happy. Take advantage of other people because I want to put myself first. My hopes, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, my success, my hope, and when we focus on ourselves first in our whole lives, we could look back and we could see the trails of difficult relationships, of brokenness, of loneliness, of isolation, of heartache, of addiction, of trials, tribulations. And we thought, but I thought I achieved it. I thought I got what I was supposed to get. And yet, 
if we were to follow the idea that Jim Carrey presents, it's this idea that wanting to receive everything and realizing that's not it because there's another better, greater way to live. Not easier, but better, greater way to live. So how does Jesus turn those four things we just talked about? How does Jesus and his life and his example flip that upside down? How does he turn that and show us how to live in a way that is completely different than the way we are taught, the way the world shows us, the way that we, are celebrate, that we celebrate and we exemplify um, to, our, to the people around us and we receive from the people around us? The first one is not to put yourself first. Put yourself first last. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So instead of saying, it's all about me and what I want and putting myself first, it's saying, how can I serve somebody else? How can I put the needs of other people above my own? So what is it that we can do in order to recognize that it's not all about us? We put others above ourselves. So see, it's not bad to want to do good things, but are we doing it out of selfish ambition? Do we serve people because we want people to see that we serve people? Do we do good things because we want people to see we do good things? Do we pursue our reputation, what others think of us and say of us, more than we pursue godly character and integrity? That integrity shows us who we are when no one's watching. Integrity comes from the idea of an integer, which is a whole number. So whenever we have integrity, it means that our words and our actions, they match. Why? Because we are whole. There's no division or no hypocriticalness within us. Steph and I, yesterday, it was actually really, really sweet. We um, celebrated, uh, as we were here for uh, Emma's wedding, um, I did the prayer, and Emma was grabbed the microphone and uh, was like, can I say a few, can I say something? And it was one of those where, like, literally no one's going to say no, you're the bride, right? So you could say, and she was so sweet because I, she just said, I want to thank JP for praying for us because today is he and Stephanie's 16th anniversary. So we celebrated our anniversary yesterday and this idea of putting one another's needs, putting someone else's needs above your own is such a beautiful picture of how marriages can work. We are not perfect. There are no perfect marriages, but when you try to go into a marriage only seeking your own needs and putting what you need first, then it creates this chasm, it creates this, this gap. Because then if one person is trying to care for one, the other's need, but then the, that spouse is still caring for their own needs, then there's a spouse who's not getting their needs taken care of at all. But if we enter into marriage or if we grow in marriage with Christ as the center, he's the, he's the center strand around which we wrap our lives and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. When we are seeking to care for one another's needs, one, both people's needs are being met, and two, we're exhibiting the mind of Christ when we do it because we're putting the other person's needs above our own. It's a mutual serving, a mutual loving, a mutual caring for in the model that Christ gives us in Philippians. So put others' needs above yourself. 
Number two, let's go to the next slide. Use your advantages to help others to move up. Don't take advantage of others to move up. Use your advantage. Use whatever it is, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your passions. Use something. If you have the ability to be generous, to, to give to others, give of your time, give of your talents, give of money, give of whatever it is to help other people up. And how do we see this exemplified in Christ? Verse 5 says this, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset. Again, the mindset of putting others first. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That if anyone ever in any amount of time throughout history had a reason to come on the scene and ask people go do everything at his beck and call, it was Jesus. If anyone ever in all of history would walk around and say, give me this, do that for me, serve me in this way, it would have been Jesus. But what did he do? He didn't come as one to be served, but as one who serves. He talks about who, who's greater, the one who sits at the table and be, is served, or the one who is serving. He says, I have come as one who serves. He lays down his life because he wants to serve and help us to be in a right relationship with God. He could have come and he could have just been like, all of you are lost. None of you can get to God on your own. Tough. He could have said, there is no way. He could have just allowed that to happen, and yet he came to make a way where there was no way. He came to bridge that gap. He came to show us that a life with God is possible, not because of anything that we can do or have done, but because of who he is and what he's done for us. That we recognize Jesus didn't take this, the fact that he is God. He didn't use that to his advantage. He used the fact that he was God and is God to serve. He took the advantage he had. He was sinless. And he used that to move all of us into right relationship with God. Why? Because we're trying to repeat this almost every week to remind us of the story of the gospel in very simple words. Number one, God loves us. We are created and formed in right relationship with God. Number two, we blew it. That there is sin and entered the world with Adam and Eve and sin has continued to made itself embedded in our very nature. That we are far from God because when we have the things we know we ought to do, we do not do them. And the evil we do not want to do, this we keep on doing, as Paul says in Romans 7. We blew it, but Jesus paid for it. He's the one who made the way where there was no way. He's the one that bridged a gap. He's the one that said, I am God. I am sinless. I will come and live a perfect life without any sin, without any blemish, without any difficulty. I will die a horrible death with the weight of the world, of the sins, of past, present, future, of every person throughout time on my shoulders. And I will do it so that when I'm raised to new life, everyone is invited to have a relationship with God through me to have eternal life. He didn't take being God and use it to his advantage to demand and to command all these things that people to do stuff for him. He did it to serve us, to love us, to lead us into right relationship with God. God loves us. 
We blew it. Jesus paid for it. But friends, the fourth one that we all need to remember is that we must receive it. We can't just know steps one through three intellectually, rationally, but not take heart of it and ask Jesus into our hearts relationally to have a relationship with him. So Jesus did not take his sinlessness and his very nature of God. He is God. He was fully God, fully man. He didn't use it for his advantage. He used to help us move into right relationship. He used that. And that's the model that we have. Whatever we've been given, gifts, talents, abilities, resources, whatever it is, not use it to take advantage of others so we move up. It's say, how can I use what God has given me to help others move up in their lives? Number three, on the list there, make less of yourself to live humbly. So not make more of yourself to be happy. Make less of yourself to live humbly. Verse seven, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, there's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting word dynamic here in verse six when it talks about how Jesus was in the very nature God. His very nature was God. He's always been God. He is God. And yet in verse eight, excuse me, seven, he took on the nature of a servant here on earth. He became a, found in appearance as a man. Often what we do is that we have been made in a, we, our very form, our very nature is that we are men and women and yet we try so hard to be the gods of our own lives. That we are the nature of a person, but we try to take on the nature of being gods of our own lives, determining right and wrong. And this is the picture that we see in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. The reason that we blew it and that they blew it was the fact that they were told, don't eat from the specific tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the, in the middle of the garden. All the other trees you can eat from. And they were tempted by the serpent that was saying, did God say that you couldn't, you couldn't eat from any tree? Notice the conniving nature of temptation. It's asking a question to make you question the character of God. And take something that's partially, like, that's true, but makes it a partial truth. Did God say you couldn't eat out of anything? How awful is he? That's not what he said. He said there's one rule. There's one thing. Why? Because then they would live forever. And that they would know right and wrong. And they would become like God. So the temptation we have is to think that there are no consequences to our action, that there's no death, we're not going to die, there's, not, there's no problem, we can live the way we want. But then the other dynamic is that we want to be the ones that determine right and wrong in our own lives. We take the, 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 the desire to say, we don't rely on what God's word said to be right and wrong, we take how we feel we take what the culture offers. We look around us and we think, well, if they think it's okay, it must be okay. But friends, our standard is not our culture. Our standard is God's word. And so he made himself nothing. Jesus didn't take, he didn't think of being God as something to his advantage. He used it to help others. And then he made himself nothing. 
instead of getting all the praise and all the laudits throughout his whole life, he, was, he didn't have a place to lay his head. His own family thought that he was crazy. He served and he washed the feet of his disciples, even Judas knowing he was going to betray him. See, he showed us how to live by serving those around us, putting their needs above our, our own. And lastly, life is not all about me or all about you. Life is all about Christ. We sang earlier, we're coming back to the heart of worship, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it when it's all about you. When I make my life about me, it skews and it orients my life completely apart from where God has me and where he wants me. We all do this. We think we can choose right and wrong. We go our own way. What is the book of Judges when it talks about the cycle of sin and brokenness within that, that people throughout the country? What does it say? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Moral relativism, there's no such thing as objective truth. All these things that we still see vibrant today. But life, friends, is all about Christ. It's not about us. Uh, you, me, we are not sitting on thrones in heaven because it's all about us. What is Philippians 2, 9 through 11, what does it say about who is going to be elevated and exalted? Verse 9, therefore, therefore God exalted him, Christ, to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, every one of us, everyone throughout all of history is going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he is God and that his name is above all names. We see that in Acts chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 13, that there is no other name that salvation can come from. Actually, verse 12, and then verse 13 talks about how they saw, the people saw that Peter and John were not educated men, but they had been with Jesus. See, all of us will kneel and bow before God, before Jesus on the throne at some point. And the hope and the prayer is that we confess and we come and we bow down before him here on this earth to experience the kind of relationship with him we've been created to have since the garden before we blew it, but to have a right relationship with God who loves us, who forms us, who shapes us, who molds us, who knows the hairs on your head, knows the days of your lives, knows the cries of your hearts, knows the longings of your soul. And he knows and he loves you far more than you could ever, ever fathom. And so instead of following the world's concept of putting, making it all about us, we all, either this side of life or after we all die and we have a moment before God, we will all be at the throne and we will all be amazed by who he is and we will all either be rejoicing because we are welcomed into life with him or we will be mourning that we did not trust in Jesus when we had the chance. Remember, God loves us, we blew it, Jesus paid for it and we must receive him. Life is all about him. 
So let's go to the slide um, that shows the two lists for a moment one more time. Thank you. Remember in the beginning, we showed an animal. We showed it one way. And we could see the top of the animal to the bottom of the animal. And then when you flipped it and you turned it upside down, it recalibrated our perspective. And whereas on the list on the left, it's life is all about you. Make more of yourself to be happy. Take advantage of others to move up. Put yourself first. If that's the way we are told in our world, we need our perspective to be turned upside down. So that instead of putting ourselves first, we put ourselves last. Instead of making more, or excuse me, taking advantage of others to move up, we use whatever advantages we have to help others move up. Instead of making more of ourselves to be happy, we make less of ourselves to live humbly. And instead of making life all about us, we live life all for Christ. Friends, if, if your life, if my life, if it more aligns with the list on the left, then we will be seeking hope and purpose. We'll be seeking joy and peace and a content life with a completely wrong perspective. We'll be looking at life with the wrong prescription. But if we step back and what you're seeking is hope and purpose and joy and peace and content life, and you step back like Elise and I do, and we just need a new perspective of what we're trying to look for. If you seek Jesus with all your heart, you will find him. If we calibrate our lives on the list on the right, if we turn our lives upside down from the world, we will find hope and joy and peace and content life. We will stand out. We may get mocked. We may have difficulty. But when pain hits and those around us are hurting, they'll know where they can go to find people who will care for them. Church, may we be those people that meet the broken, that love the lost, that hurt with those who are hurting, that come alongside those who need hope. May we not lord it over them, but may we serve them. Because we come in the image of Jesus, who did not come to be served, but came as one who serves. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. I thank you that, God, we could read a passage that was written 2,000 years ago by, by Paul in a prison trying to help a, a culture and a church going through a difficult time and to find joy, peace, and a content life. And we thank you that scripture is God-breathed, that 2,000 years later, we too, in a culture that is struggling and that we have difficulties, we're told how to live a certain way, things are celebrated within our lives, within our culture rather. And we need joy and your peace and your contentment God, I pray that we would turn the perspective of the world upside down to be better in line with who you are, Jesus, how you lived. And may we be lights in a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. May we be shines that shi or stars that shine in a crooked and depraved generation. May people see our good deeds and not give us credit, but give you, our Heavenly Father, glory. May our lives be turned upside down in the best possible way, in a way that is modeled after you and points others to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. 
the first. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.